Good evening, everyone. Glad to see everyone here. Seems like we're, our numbers might be slightly increasing. That's good, little by little. So uh, people are still at home watching as we stream these uh, Wednesday night services, and so we're grateful for them as well. And uh, I would, would continue to encourage you that we have plenty of room here for those of you who are at home. If, you, if you're thinking there's no room or something like that, uh, that's not true. We've got plenty of room, so uh, please... Please come join us if you're able. Uh, in your Bibles, if you have your Bibles, take them and turn to the book of Malachi. The book of Malachi, last book in the Old Testament. As we continue our study there, uh, we've been looking at God's message to his people through the prophet Malachi. And um, it's not a uh, cheerful message uh, at this point. Uh, God has difficult things to say to his people because they are disobedient, and he's doing so through the prophet as the prophet brings this word, this burden uh, that God has given him to bring to the people. That's not, a, not an easy message, but uh, a truthful message nonetheless, and a needed message as well. Uh, so we've been looking at uh, the first uh, sort of charge that God brought against the people, which was that um, they don't believe that he has loved them. And so the last couple of weeks we've been, we've been looking at, at that first charge uh, and seeing how God proved that he has, in fact, loved them. Uh, this, this belief in their hearts is, is not true. Uh, whatever it's based on, their circumstances, um, the difficulty of their lives, uh, the forgetfulness that they have of, of what God has done, it leads to this, this sort of um, laziness, spiritual laziness among God's people. And so they're being charged with this through the prophet Malachi. And as we see, he brings these charges, and he doesn't really give them time to respond. It's not about them verbally responding, but he goes ahead and, and through uh, uh, the Spirit's direction, accuses them, and then even says what their response is, and he's, he's exposing what's in their heart, uh, their, their, the way they feel about God from their hearts is that he hasn't loved them. Um, and there's plenty in Scripture, as, if you've read the Old Testament very much, that talk about remembrance, remembering the Lord, remembering what he has done, and they certainly are not remembering, so Malachi is bringing that to them. So we're, we're done with that first section, that first charge through, through verse 5 of Malachi chapter 1. And so now starting in verse 6, we get on to, to this next section. Um, and the next charge that we have is directed at the priests. And we'll see that as we go on here. It's certainly relevant for all of the people and would would express the truth about everyone's hearts, but God is directing this next section at, at the priests, as we'll see. So let me pray for us, and then we'll, we'll get started. Father in heaven, we thank you again for tonight, and we thank you for the singing. Uh, we thank you for the remembrance. As we sing those words and we remember um, that you are the God of armies, Lord, and you, you go before your people. We can see that through the scriptures. We can see that in our own lives. Lord, as believers, we see your work. We see your blessing and your kindness um, day after day. I pray, Father, that we would not grow 
lazy in our, in our walk with you, that we would not go lazy, grow lazy in our remembrance of, of all that you have done, Father, namely the cross of Christ. What a wonderful and gracious gift that is. We praise you for it, and we ask you, Father, to continue to teach us through your word, uh, motivate us through the hearing of your word. Uh, Father, I pray you would reach each heart here, wherever, wherever we're at, that your word would do its work. We trust you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to go ahead and just read in Malachi chapter 1, verses 6 through 8, and then we'll go back and, uh, and talk about that. Uh, verses 6 through 8 in Malachi chapter 1. A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests, who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? Again, the target of his rebuke here is, are the priests. Um, but but it, this is relevant to all the people. So, so make sure you think of it that way. Um, it's not just that he's bringing this to their attention, but he's bringing this strong rebuke. Uh, it's not just an issue. It's not just a small problem. This is a grave sin. Um, and so the, the priests that he's targeting here in particular, uh, uh, and, and their attitude is not only... Um, bad for them, but it's bad for the people because they're the leaders. The people are, are following their lead, okay? Um, they're, they're in a position of influence over the people because they are God's messengers. They are God's servants. And the actions and the teaching of the priests are bearing bad fruit among the people. If you, if you move over to Malachi chapter 2 and verse 8, we can see that indicated there where Malachi says, but you have turned aside from the way. And speaking to the leadership, okay? You have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. Okay? So if you're one of the priests there and you're hearing this message, this, this should build up fear in you. This should not be something pleasant to hear. And so the belief in the hearts of the people that God does not love them, that we've been looking at uh, in, the, in the first indictment that was brought against the people, this belief in their heart that God doesn't love them has caused them to become more and more complacent and indifferent to God. Okay? Uh, the, the priests in particular have become negligent in their duties. They're failing to honor God as they should. They have lost their sense of godly fear, and we'll see that in a minute. 
And they've, they've cast aside any reverence and awe that they perhaps once had for their heavenly father. And so therefore, they're charged with this. They're charged with despising the name of the Lord and polluting the Lord's table or altar. And he, he starts by making a couple of statements that the people would agree with. Okay, these, are, these are known and understood to be true, and, and they would have heard these statements and would have to agree with it. As the statements are made by Malachi, they would agree. This is the way it is. These are the rules. Uh, in terms of uh, what is said here in verse 6 about uh, a son honoring his father and a servant uh, and, and the master. And so uh, I think sensing this coming rebuke, but not knowing what it is yet, they would have been agreeing with his statements here. Uh, but perhaps would, would, there would be a long pause that would follow after they said, after these statements are made, a son honors his father. In verse 6, a servant, his master. And then this pause, like, yeah, we agree, what's coming? What's, you know, there's like a question mark there. And then they're waiting, waiting for the hammer to drop with this charge that's going to come at them. Okay? So they wouldn't disagree with those statements. That's how things are. And they may have begun to figure out that he, uh, that he made the statements to get them to agree so that uh, he could then say what, that they're not doing these things which is precisely what Malachi did. He says, a son honors his father and a servant his master. So now we have, remember, we have a question time in here. We, have some, we can have some responses if you're willing. Where, by saying this, a son honors his father, where is Malachi taking them? What is he causing them to remember? What's that? The commandments. The, the, the fifth commandment, the fifth of the Ten Commandments, right? They, they know this stuff. They know how this goes. Exodus twenty twelve, Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land uh, that the Lord your God is giving you. Okay? They know this to be true. They know it's a command of God. And so by, by saying that, he doesn't have to say, you know, let's go back to the Ten Commandments. Do you remember this or that? He makes this statement because they absolutely know it. Okay? It's a, it's a declarative statement of fact. A son honors his father. He gives him what he is due, uh, what is fitting for his position of authority. Okay? God's setting all of this up to remind them of God's position and God's authority over them. It's a serious violation. For, for you and I not to honor our, our father and mother is a sin according to the law of Moses. And how much more is it a sin not to honor our Heavenly Father. And that's the point here. That's what's, what's being brought up. Okay? He, he charges them with that very thing, uh, with not honoring their Heavenly Father. He didn't just make, make the truth statement that a son honors his father. He accuses them of not honoring their Father, their Heavenly Father. Okay? And he goes on in verse 6 and says, If then I am a father, where is my honor? And that question from God is the accusation, right? In other words, you priests know that a son must honor his father, and if I am your heavenly father, which he is, where is the honor from you that is fitting for me? Where is my honor, he says. Well, it is not there. They are certainly not honoring him. 
Uh, this is it's a very dangerous sin. It is what, what Paul describes of the unbelievers in Romans, in Romans 1, and God eventually gives them up in their foolish thinking. It, it starts with not honoring God. In Romans 1, 21, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Okay? They did not honor God, even though they knew God. And not only that, but he uses the example of a servant and his master. The statement of fact here that a servant honors his master is also understood by the priests. They would agree with this. And God says through the prophet, prophet if I am a master... Where is my fear? He doesn't say, where is my honor, but where is my fear? There's a reverential fear that belongs to a master, and God makes it clear that he is their master, and there's no fear of him. They, they serve him, but they do not fear him. They're going through motions, but they don't fear God. What is the problem? What's the problem with not fearing God? What are some problems you can think about of not fearing God? What's that? Okay, get into temptation real easy. All right. No restraint. Okay, that's that's good. Not humble. Right, absolutely. It, the, the fear of God, and this goes to what Vic said, the fear of God really is it's meant to be a check for our conduct. Okay? The fear of God is what comes to mind when you ponder a decision about uh, what you're planning to do or say. Okay? There's a consideration of God, and what, what does God say about this? Um, if, if one person knew that another person feared God, they knew that their actions would be restrained by that fear. Okay? So I want to look at an example of this. Uh, I think it's a really good example. In Genesis chapter 20, if you take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 20, we'll go all the way back and look at this account here about Abraham's decision um, based on someone's knowledge or lack of knowledge of God, someone's fear or lack of fear of God. Okay, and look at the, the poor decisions made by Abraham here in, in Genesis 20. And this section is the account where, you know, Abraham has uh, decided to um, say that Sarah, his wife, is his sister. And he's convinced Sarah to go along with this and tell people that she is his sister. Okay, and so we'll look and see why here, here in a minute. But in Genesis 20, verse 1, we'll read verse 1 through 11 for this, uh, to kind of give us the background here and what happens, okay? From there, Abraham journeyed toward the territory of the Negeb and lived between Kadesh and Shur, and he sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham said of, his wife, of, his, of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. And the idea there is that we would understand as he's living in this area, as he's sojourning in this area, that's the message he gives to people. When they, when they come into contact with people, this is my sister. And she would say, this is my brother. Okay. 
Uh, she is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. Now Abimelech had not approached her, so he said, Lord, will you kill an innocent people? Did he not himself say to me, she is my sister, and she herself said, he is my brother? In the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I have done this. Then God said to him in the dream, yes, I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart, and it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now then, return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, so that he will pray for you and you shall live. But if you do not return her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. So Abimelech rose early in the morning and called all his servants and told them all these things, and the men were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? And how have I sinned against you that you have brought on me and my kingdom a great sin? You have done to me things that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What did you you see that you did this thing? Verse 11, Abraham said, I did it because I thought there is no fear of God at all in this place. And they will kill me because of my wife. Okay? So, so listen to that, verse 11, in terms of what we've been talking about, about the fear of God and this idea of restraint. Okay, when, when people know that someone fears God, it sends a message to them. When they know that someone doesn't fear God, it sends a message to them. Okay, verse 11. Uh, Abimelech asks the, ac- the exact question that needs to be asked here. Why have you done this? And Abraham's answer gets right to the point of what we're talking about in our passage. In verse 11, Abraham said, I did it because I thought there is no fear of God at all in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. Okay? Abraham made a decision about the behavior he could expect from a people who did not fear God. His decision was that the lack of fear of God would lead them to have no problem with killing him or his, for his wife. Okay. Abraham's behavior wasn't good here, of course, but we can see and, and, and understand his understanding that, uh, that there's a necessity of fearing God. And to go to what was mentioned earlier, Psalm 111, verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding his praise endures forever. And Proverbs 1.7, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And these verses sort of beg the question, what is the fear of the Lord? And really, the fear of the Lord is a state of mind for you and I. And in other words, what you think about things, if you are fearing the Lord, then what you think, what you desire, or what your will is, what you feel about things, the things you do, 
and the things you want to do are given up if you are fearing the Lord. They're given up and replaced with God's standing, God's standard in these areas. Okay, in the fear of the Lord, I ask myself, what does God think? What does God desire? How does God feel about this or that? What does God want me to do? So as we go through life and we make decisions, we decide, am I want to go here? Do I want to go there? Should I do this? Should I do that? Uh, how should I treat this person? How should I respond? I'm, I'm feeling angry. How should I respond? I, I'm, I feel bitter towards somebody because they've, they've hurt me. They've sinned against me. Um, how do I respond? Are those who are in the fear of the Lord consider him, consider what he thinks about these things. And how do we find out what that is? We go to his word. We go to what he says. Right? We can look and see what he feels about these things, what he says our reaction should be or, uh, or those things, how, how we should determine if we should do something or not do something. Okay, So there needs to be a fear of the Lord. There's a good, good reason for it. It is a, a check in our conduct. But if we ignore the word of the Lord, over time, everything will begin to be based on what I think and what I feel. I'll, I'll base it on my emotions towards somebody. Somebody has sinned against me. I'm angry at them. I'm just going to stay angry. But if I go to the word of the Lord, I can remember and be told that I'm to be getting rid of anger and getting rid of bitterness and malice and all those things. But if I ignore the word of the Lord and I go by my feelings... Uh, I'm going to be wrong every time. And, and slowly it's going to get worse. And that's what we have here with, with the people of God in Malachi's time. And in particular, the priests. They've become lazy. They've, they've drifted into what they want, their own desires. They've, they're forgetting what God has said and doing what they want to do. And we have to think about the fear of the Lord. And so in light of that, in light of that, that idea that we need to, all of the things that we want or we would want to do, we're, we're setting that aside knowing that what God wants and what God says is more important. And so we're, we want to cling to that. So having those things in mind, then here in our, in our world today, where do we see evidence of a lack of fear of God? Everywhere, okay. That's too broad. <laughs> it's true. Everywhere. We see it everywhere. What are some examples of ways that we see a lack of fear of God in our world? Music and media. Okay, so the nature of those things and what they, the messages they send that are anti-biblical, they're totally against God. Yeah, that would show a lack of fear of God. Yes. Abortions. Okay. A tremendous lack of fear of God. Uh, at the killing of, of unborn human beings. Okay, good, good example. Yeah. Okay, what's going on in all the protesting? Okay, uh, you know, it doesn't mean that there aren't, um, you know, sometimes valid reasons for complaint and those kinds of things, but it seems like what we're seeing is tantrums, right? This, this is not the behavior of Christians. Okay, we're not asking the question, what does God want? We're not bringing God's word to the, to the discussion. Okay, what else? Other ways we see a lack of fear in our world. 
Oh, the language people use? Okay. Yeah, and I would say, in particular, the language we use uh, when it involves the name of God. Right? Yeah. Yeah, I, the, it's true. Yeah, there, I've seen a, an increase in that. And for those listening at home, probably can't hear that. The, the comment is about the language of even little children, that they're, they're picking up from people around them, most likely their parents and other adults that they have contact with. But there doesn't seem to be this correction of even the language of little kids anymore. Uh, even from when I, was, when I was younger, I didn't hear as much as I hear today. It seems to be getting... You know, increasingly worse uh, in that area. Yeah, yeah. honoring their fathers and mothers is is a is a big one. That was really difficult in my, in my job in law enforcement. It was really difficult to respond to calls and hear the way that kids were were referring to their parents or talking to their parents. Just so disrespectful with the the swearing and the yelling and the screaming and the parents wouldn't do anything and you know I'm not their parent I can't I can't spank them or something like that but uh, it's really difficult to hear and I would I would sometimes scold the kids for it for how they're talking to their parents but it's like falling on deaf ears because they've never had any instruction that you don't treat your parents like that uh, so in some ways I'm spinning my wheels when I'm trying to trying to help a situation but yeah that's a a, a big problem what about, let's expand that question a little bit. We talked about the world. Well, what about in the church? Where, do we, where are some ways we see a lack of fear in the church? Not honoring marriage, okay? That's certainly a lack of fear of God in the world, but that is in the church as well, okay? Other areas? What was that? Okay, that's... Very important. Not calling sin, sin. And that's a pretty broad one. That includes a lot of different things. And it goes with what you said about marriage, too. But when we begin to, the church begins to have less and less of a problem with sin. Like the world, we can see it has not that big of a problem with sin. Okay, It's glorifying sin and reveling in sin. And, but when the church begins to grab onto that, it will, it will expand in the church. It will get worse and worse in the church. So that's... That's a big one. If, if in the church, and this goes to right, the, the rebuke of the priests here, the leadership, and that goes to the leadership in a church, that if, if uh, the, the leadership in the church doesn't call sin, sin, then the church is going to follow. Okay, so that's really, really important. That's a good, that's a good one. Yeah, Vic. Right, yeah, we are to be offering our bodies as a living sacrifice uh, for those at home who can't, can't hear that. Uh, and, and so in terms of the, the defiled sacrifices that are being offered here in Malachi, um, that is for us, we do offer, we are supposed to be offering our bodies as a living sacrifice. 
And so God, God says to them here, where is my fear? These things that they're doing, the, the problems they're having really is from a, a lack of fear of God. That's, the, that's where this is coming from. That, that they feel like they can get away with doing what they're doing because they really have a lack of fear of God. You do not honor me. You don't fear me. That's the message here. Um, and so, so you can kind of feel and hear the, re, the weight of this rebuke that God is bringing. It's not a small thing. Uh, and now we, we see for sure where this rebuke, rebuke is directed in the middle of verse 6 in, in Malachi 1 because it gets right to being very specific about who it's to. Uh, he says, where is my fear, says the Lord of hosts, to you, O priests, who despise my name. Okay? So if the priests are all there and the people are all there and they're all hearing this together, when that message is directed right at the priest, you can almost picture all the rest of the people whipping their heads around and turning over to the priest to see what's your response to this going to be. Uh, so, but notice again the use of the name, the Lord of hosts here. And we talked about that last time. This is the meaning of the Lord of armies. This is to conjure up in them the idea and the belief and the, the reality that God is the Lord of armies. God is a God of judgment. Okay? Um, and this is meant to instill fear in them as they are reminded of God's rule and God's authority and his ability to bring judgment. We also see that this rebuke has become a, a direct accusation against the priest. You despise my name is what's being said here. And the Hebrew word here uh, that is translated as despise basically means to look down on something as if it's worthless uh, or to be treated with contempt. Imagine that, that that's what their heart is feeling about God, that he is uh, to be treated with contempt. This is very serious. And one person said, they, they did not simply despise the Lord in the way they worshiped, they, the way they worshipped showed that they were despisers of the Lord. Okay? And the specific object of their despising is the very nature of the Lord. They are despising his name. They didn't just do it accidentally one time. This is an ongoing characteristic of theirs in the present tense. It's, it's the condition of their hearts. They are despising his name. And again, like the first charge brought against them, they don't see it or believe it, and they bring a countercharge against God in, in the response of their hearts. Using the same method of interrogation and response, Malachi, Malachi tells them what their response to this accusation is before they even utter it verbally. They don't even have to utter it verbally. It's, it's from their hearts. And that response is, in our text there, but you say, how have we despised your name? Okay. They've now become belligerent accusers of God. And in the next verse, Malachi answers the question of how and gets specific with where they've gone wrong. In, in verse 7, if you look there in our text, let's read verse 7 again. Here's the answer. By offering polluted food upon my altar. Okay? This verse um, begins the answer to the priest's question, the question of their heart. And the scripture says that they have despised God's name by offering polluted food upon his altar. And your Bible will either translate the Hebrew word here as polluted or defiled. Some of your, your Bibles might say defiled. Um, and we usually think of, when we hear the word polluted, we usually think of water. 
Okay, if you, if you go to a restaurant and you, they bring you a glass of water and it's got a big hair sticking out of it, um, you know, that's pretty disgusting. Okay, that, that water is defiled, it's polluted, and you're, you're not going to accept that. Well, I hope you wouldn't accept that anyway. You don't just pull it out and then, then keep drinking. Okay, um, so we try to keep our water supply clean and free of sewage because that water would cease to be pure with sewage in it. Okay, it would be polluted. And so what they're offering to God on his altar didn't measure up to God's standard. Uh, the, the offering was worthless. It was polluted. The sacrifice is being referred to, as, uh, to God as food here are both symbolic and practical. Okay? They're symbolic because though God didn't eat the sacrifice, it was as if he did when, when the sacrifice is offered and it's consumed by fire, it's as if God is consuming or eating that, okay? But we don't picture God actually grabbing this thing and taking bites out of whatever it is. Um, it was also practical because some of the sacrifices were to be eaten by the priests. This is how God provided food for the priests as well. Uh, and, and those offering them, as it's sort of a, a communal meal here, okay? So both symbolic because of the consumption of it by fire and practical because the priests actually did eat some of, uh, some of the offering. But uh, what they were offering in general, the whole of it, what they were offering was defiled or polluted. And they have uh, a follow-up question that comes after God's charge here because they don't see what they have been doing as a violation, apparently. And the question they respond with is, again, a defiant question. How have we polluted you? And you can see in this question that they know how serious a charge it is, okay? That to offer polluted or defiled food on God's altar was to defile God himself, okay? It says, by offering polluted food upon my altar, and their response is, how have we polluted you? Okay? This is, this is to defile God himself. He is holy. His altar is holy. Sacrifices offered to him are supposed to be holy. And to offer something defiled is really a horrendous violation of this holiness. Okay? And you think of that word holiness here as, as being set apart. Okay? God is set apart, absolutely. Uh, he is holy. And those sacrifices are to be set apart for him, the best is supposed to be given to him. It's set apart for him, okay? So they ask the question of how. How have we polluted you? And the response from the Lord through Malachi uh, here to this last question is interesting. How have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. I didn't see in here where they said, your table may be despised, but yet that's the charge here. You've said my table may be despised. Uh, the priests were not verbally telling each other, not going around telling each other, the Lord's table may be despised. Hey, remember, the Lord's table may be despised. They're not even verbally telling the people that. They're not going around telling the people, hey, we've just discovered the Lord's table may be despised. Okay, but God accuses them of saying that. You say. How is it that they're saying or communicating that the Lord's table may be despised. Yeah. 
Right, so exactly right. The answer to that is their actions are showing. Their actions are saying it. Their actions are communicating that, that the Lord's table may be despised. They're, they're saying this, and when I say they now, I'm talking about the priests. They're saying this by even accepting polluted or defiled offerings from the people and then offering it to God. Okay, the people bring the offering. The priest accepts the polluted offering without doing something, without rebuking the people for even bringing something defiled and polluted to be offered to God. So here's this problem with their leadership, right? The people are bringing this. This is where they are, as representatives of God and servants of God, they are to be rebuking those people, not accepting this, but by accepting it. I've now told this person, hey, go ahead and bring me something polluted. What God says about what he wants from us doesn't matter. And so this goes on and on with more and more people and more and more offerings. It gets worse and worse. People's attitudes begin to be lazier and lazier. Uh, They begin to become more and more um, distant from the word of God and what God requires of them. And so this is what's going on. Through their actions, they are sending this message. Now, I'm going to bring up an example of, of a movie and don't take any meaning from this. Like, I like this kind of movie. It's called Cinderella, okay? But I live with five women. Well, only four now because my oldest has moved away. But a lot of women, right? And so they like to watch this Cinderella movie. And I think it's a newer one. Um, I don't know who the actress is. What's her name? You don't know? Okay. Well, anyway, so it's, it's a newer version. I think there's like a thousand versions of Cinderella. But basically in this one, it, it really kind of is a clear view of what's going on here, right? The, the wicked stepmom comes in uh, and acts like she cares for Cinderella, and the dad dies, um, and so the wicked stepmother is sort of speaking softly and to her and pretending to be genuine with her while slowly removing her from being with her and the stepsisters, uh, moving her to the attic, giving the sisters her room, but all in the guise of you know, this is a wonderful thing, and, and playing on her own kindness towards people. So she gets moved off to the attic, and then she's cooking the meals for them, and then it moves to not only cooking the meals, but now not being able to eat the meals with the family. Uh, and then she's, you know, cooking in, in the worst conditions, and, and she's sending this subtle message over time uh, that, that I don't care about you or value you. Okay. She can see how the uh, wicked stepsisters are treated as much better than her, and so this message becomes clearer and clearer and clearer based on this poor treatment. Okay. And then it moves, not, it moves out of the realm of subtlety uh, and on to outright hostility and hatred towards her. Okay. It's just out in the open now. And the stepmother looks at Cinderella as completely worthless. Okay. I'm not going to go through the whole movie. That's enough right now. But basically that gives you this, this picture that, of that word despise, of that, that means to look down on something as if it is worthless and to treat it with contempt. And that's how she was treated. And that's what these priests are doing. They are going through the motions of their priestly service, supposedly doing what they're supposed to be doing, um, but they're sending a message that this is not that big of a deal. This can be despised. Um, and, and so, so they can send that message without saying those words. 
People's actions can and will betray the evil intent of their heart. And that's what's going on here with the priests. And they're leading the people in this way. Um, By the fact that they're accepting, again, those polluted offerings and offering them to the Lord. They're non-verbally communicating that their internal belief is that God's table can be despised without consequence, and that is, it is just fine to do what we're doing, but it is not fine, okay? Though they're asking these questions, these priests, Malachi says we're saying, though their hearts betray that their questions are, how did we do this? Um, Though that is what's coming out of their hearts, did they know what they were doing was wrong? Maybe they didn't know, right? Wrong. How, how do we know they knew what they're supposed to be doing? These priests. What's that? They were told, right? They have the law. Absolutely. They, they knew, and they knew because it was clearly given to them by God through Moses how they were to offer things to God and what was to be offered to God. Now, if you look over in Leviticus chapter 22, we just see a, a quick example of, of some of that to answer this question of, did they know what they were doing was wrong? Okay, Leviticus 22, um, we'll start in verse 17, and through about verse 23. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, okay, and all the people of Israel, and say to them, When any one of the house of Israel or of the sojourners in Israel, presents a burnt offering as his offering for any of their their vows or freewill offerings that they offer to the Lord. If it is to be accepted for you, it shall be a male without blemish of the bulls or, uh, or the sheep or the goats. You shall not offer anything that has a blemish, for it will not be acceptable for you. And when anyone offers a sacrifice of peace offerings to the Lord to fulfill a vow or as a free will offering from the herd or from the flock to be accepted, it must be perfect. There shall be no blemish in it. Animals blind or disabled or mutilated or having a discharge or an itch or scabs. Sorry, this is kind of gross. You shall not offer to the Lord or give them to the Lord as a food offering on the altar. You may present a bull or a lamb that has a part too long or too short for a free will offering, but for a vow offering, it cannot be accepted. Okay, it goes on and on. God has standards. He has given clear instruction on what is acceptable and what is not acceptable. They knew this. And so he's going after the leaders. The people were were bringing the blemished animals, but the priests allowed it. Okay? Remember in verse 8 of chapter 2 what it said? You have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. That's what they've done, and that's what they're doing. And verse 8 says, is this not evil? We just read the law regarding what is to be offered and what is not, and they knew 
this law and they violated it anyway. Why? They did not fear God. They did not honor God. God's altar is and can be despised is, is what they're saying, is the message they're sending. Okay, and this is the charge that God is bringing upon them through the prophet Malachi. Okay? And then there's some sarcasm brought in when Malachi tells them to offer something similar to their governor, right? There's requirements of things to be given to the governor. Go ahead and try to offer something similar to the governor, something beneath what is expected. Okay? He's, not ex- he's not suggesting that they offer sacrifice to the governor. The, the point is that the taxes and other things required to be given to earthly governments, um, they have specific requirements. And, and he's basically saying, would you dare give less than what is required to your earthly governor? Which the answer is no. They wouldn't. And the implication is that you wouldn't do this because of the fear of consequences. The government has authority to throw you in jail uh, for failure to give what is required. How much more should we fear the Lord of armies? Okay, we kind of get caught up, and I, I think part of the problem is we get caught up in this temporal, we're here in the world and it's temporal, and the government's a reality. We hear from them every day, we see them, we know, we see people going to jail for different things, and so we know this, right? But we have a God who is a God of justice, a God of judgment, but he's also a God of patience. And so time is going by, and you can begin to think, even if you don't verbalize it, you can begin to think, God won't really do anything to me. I don't, have to, I don't have to fear this. And that's sort of what kind of gets into the people after a while, and they begin to, to feel that way. They're losing their fear of the Lord. And you'll see over the, through the Old Testament, the times when people lose the fear of the Lord, you can see over and over and over that God proves to them that they should fear him, either by swallowing them up in the earth or burning them or giving them diseases, those kinds of things. And God is constantly reminding his people, fear me. But not just that. I've loved you. Follow me. Follow what I say. Okay? They know what they're doing is evil in God's sight, but they think they can get away with it because they don't fear God. And bottom line, and this, is, this applies to us just as well, that their desires are not God's desires. Their, their desires have drifted from that. Their will is not God's will. Their thinking is not God's thinking. They have removed themselves from caring about what God says. Can that happen to us? Yeah. We, we, when we disconnect ourselves from the fellowship of believers... We disconnect ourselves from the reading of God's word, disconnect ourselves from prayer, we're going to forget. We're going to forget what God has said. We're going to forget how God has blessed us. Okay? And, and that's why God says over and over again in his word, remember, remember. And David, David prays to God to, to restore unto him the joy of his salvation because it, 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 it wanes sometimes. Right? We need to be reminded, you know what? Our sins are forgiven in Christ. Okay, so remember, let, let your thinking be God's thinking. Let your desires be God's desires. And that's, that's the problem that the priests were having here and the people. Where did it start? The chicken or the egg, chicken or the egg thing, right? Did the people start it by bringing bad things first? Or did the priests start it by sending a message that they could do that first? Doesn't matter. 
Problem is, they're all responsible. The people are responsible because they brought these things. But the priests are responsible because they accepted those things. And it just goes on and on and on. And now God is rebuking them because of this. Okay? Uh, so, we're out of time right now. Uh, so, next time we'll continue with this. This whole section, is, there's more to this. And he goes on to talk about it and be more specific about what they're offering. Okay? And what they're bringing and, and the problem that this is. So, it, it gets a little deeper on this this topic itself. So there's, there's more to it. Um, but for now, we'll, we'll end tonight because it is 7.31. Sorry, I'm a minute late. Let me, uh, let me pray for us. And any questions, any comments before we go? No? All right. Well, if you think of any and you want to bring them back next week and ask a question, feel free to do so. Uh, we'd like to be able to, to have dialogue here and uh, answer some questions if we can. All right, let's close in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you again for your word. Thank you, Lord, for what we can read here about how you dealt with your people through the prophet Malachi. And Lord, help us not to look at this as a story from thousands of years ago that is separate from us, but Father, to look at it and and examine our own hearts. Help us, Father, to, to love your word, to love your church, to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. Help us, Lord, to concern ourselves with what you say and what you think. And Lord, help us, Father, guard us, help help guard our hearts against the message of the world that will always pull us to man-centered things. It will not motivate us to seek your counsel, to seek your wisdom and your will, but will play on our emotions, will play on our, our fleshly desires. So, Lord, we ask you to strengthen us. Lord, bring to our minds a remembrance, first and foremost, of your great kindness in offering salvation through Jesus Christ. Uh, may that just well up in us. When we're bombarded by the world, bombarded by the news and all the things going on, Lord, I pray that you would help us to come right back to the truth and not be shaken by all that's going on. Lord, this world will, will get worse and worse, and we know that to be true. But Father, our King is coming back one day. Help us, Lord, to dwell on that. To look to Christ, look to the hope that we have in Him. What an amazing thing. What joy we can have from that. Thank you, Father. Bring us joy. Remind us of your mercies and your grace and your comfort and all those things. We give this to you. We ask you, Father, to continue to teach us, continue to sanctify us through your word. We bless uh, the folks here and the folks at home. We pray, Father, that in your will and your wisdom uh, that this virus would go no longer than, than you have determined, Lord. May we rejoice in you every day. Give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, everyone, for coming tonight.